Mark chapter 4 and verse 30. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? So this is a parable that helps us understand, a comparison that helps us understand the kingdom of God. So whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? And here's the comparison, verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown in the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. A tiny seed. Verse 32, but when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all the herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Verse 33 and 34, we've covered in a previous message, but let's go ahead and read those again. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. He explained these things to his disciples. So let's think about this comparison today between the kingdom of God and a mustard seed. Very interesting parable. Let's pray. Father, bless as we study today. We thank you for your word. What a, what a treasure it is. What a help it is. And Lord, we're just... Um, so uh, blessed, Lord, so benefited by the words of Scripture. So we pray that you would help as we study it together, help us to rightly divide the word of truth, help us to receive with meekness the engrafted word, help us to learn from the word of God today, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now I just want to begin as we think about this parable and when Jesus said in verse 30 in the form of a question, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? And let's just think about what the kingdom of God is. Um, when John the Baptist began his ministry, he began by preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, the time for the kingdom is at hand. Now John, John the Baptist, was a forerunner to Jesus Christ. And John said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. It's imminent. It's upon us. And when Jesus came preaching, as a matter of fact, we're in Mark 4. Just hold your place and go to a couple of pages to the left. We covered this some weeks ago. When Jesus began to preach, notice what he said in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? In essence... The, the kingdom of God is God ruling as king. It's God ruling as the king. And Jesus said the time is fulfilled. The, the things that had to happen have happened. They've already occurred. And the Old Testament prophesied that a king would come and would actually be a descendant of David. And he would reign 
as king and he would be the savior and he would be the Messiah. So Jesus, right, was and is that king. The kingdom of God has come. It would not be a political kingdom, at least not initially. It would be a spiritual kingdom. Eventually there will be a worldwide reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. We know that. The Bible is clear about that. But the kingdom of God that has come here in the New Testament time is God reigning in hearts. Jesus is Savior, and He is King. He is Lord, He's King. Um, Go with me to the Gospel of John briefly, John chapter 3, and we're going to come back here to Mark and spend a lot of time there. But in John chapter 3, this familiar uh, passage that we have read numerous times about when Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus inquiring about um, the teaching of Jesus. And, but just a couple of verses, John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So this spiritual kingdom is only accessed through the new birth. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And if you look in verse 5 of that same chapter, John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He has to have a natural birth, a water birth, and of the Spirit. He has to have a spiritual birth. Notice what it says. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So this kingdom of God is accessed through the new birth. And and the preaching of Jesus was to bring people into the kingdom of God. Back in the Gospel of Mark, we read this a moment ago, where it says Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, right? The gospel of the kingdom. What is gospel? It's good news. The good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it it is good news, is it not? It's good news that we can be born again. It's good news that we can be forgiven of our sins. It's good news that we can be delivered from spiritual bondage. Though it's hard to comprehend fully, it's good news that we can have the holy creator of the universe, the sovereign ruler of the universe, indwelling us as our comforter. That's good news. It's good news that we can have Jesus as our king. He is our king. He, he, he rules and reigns in our hearts. He is king. And we are his willing and obedient subjects, right? We're in subjection to our king as he rules and reigns in our life. So I ask you today, this is all a form of introduction as we get into Mark chapter 4. I'm answer this question. Have you entered the kingdom of God? You know, that's not a question about being religious or being baptized or reforming your life. It's it's a spiritual life where Jesus is your king. And you have to be born again to enter into that kingdom. Have you been born again? Is Jesus the ruler of your life? That's not a complicated question. That's a very simple question. Is Jesus the ruler? If you say, well, I I want to be saved, but I don't want him to be my ruler. When you enter salvation, when you're born again, you're born into a kingdom. 
You say, where do you get that? We just read it from the Bible, right? Is He the ruler of your life? I'll tell you, it's wonderful to be in the kingdom of God. It's wonderful to have someone else ruling our life rather than our own imagination, our own wisdom. And if you're not saved today, you need to be thinking about that. I want to, I want to know Him in a personal way. I want Jesus running my life. I want Him to rule my life. Amen? So in this context, in Mark chapter 4, my Bible's still open there. I hope you are in verse 30. Jesus said, what do you compare the kingdom of God to? What is it like? How would you compare it? And he said, it's like a grain of mustard seed, a tiny seed that grows into a tree. Now it says here in Mark chapter 4, it says that that seed, in verse 32, groweth, becometh greater than all herbs, and shoots out great branches. In Matthew 13, it says it becomes a tree. Now I don't think it's like a towering a towering, uh, like we think of a tree, like a pine tree or whatever, but it's a tree. It's not just a little bush. It's growing. It's growing so much that he says in verse 32 that the fowls of the air lodge under the shadow of it. So let's think about this parable today together. Let's think about this comparison of the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. First of all, the kingdom had a such a small beginning. If you think about it, historically, according to the New Testament, it began with one man, John the Baptist, preaching and baptizing converts in the Jordan River. A very tiny beginning. It continued as Jesus began to preach. And then Jesus sent out a small group of apostles, only twelve, that he sent out. And there were many, as we know this, many multitudes who followed him and came to hear him, but all of them were not true disciples. It began very small. Matter of fact, after the ascension of Jesus and before the outpouring of the Spirit of God, there were 120 people in the upper room. 120 people. They're going to take this message to the world. Seems like such a small beginning. But, but Jesus said in this parable, it begins small, like the smallest of seeds, like a mustard seed, but it begins to grow. Verse 32, when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs. It would grow. Matter of fact, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved and baptized in one day. Not a bad day. Not a bad day at the office, right? It's growing. You read through the book of Acts, multitudes are being saved. Churches are being started. First of all in Judea and Samaria, then in Galilee and up in Syria where Antioch is, and then across Asia and then across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia and Achaia, then down into Africa. We know that uh, the work of God began in Africa very soon. And then it crossed the Atlantic into the Western Hemisphere and And you know what? We're part of it. This wonderful thing, the kingdom of God. And today, there are many, still many people groups that are unevangelized or virtually unevangelized. But this message is covering the world. So it began very small. And it's just continuing to grow enormously. That's what the kingdom of God is like. But then another thing we see about the kingdom in verse 32 
It says it's great, grow, becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches. And then notice the next phrase. So that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now what does that mean? This kingdom will become so big that the fowls of the air will begin to lodge under the shadow of it. Now is that just a simple illustration that said it's so big that many, many people will be a part of it? Or is there some other more significant meaning here? And, I, and I'm convinced that there is. The fi- what, is the fi- what is it talking about when it says the fowls of the air? When I read that, I immediately think of the earlier parable about the seed, right? The seed being sown by the wayside. And the fowls of the air come and snatch it up. Remember that? And the fowls, these fowls of the air actually devoured the Word of God. And here are the fowls of the air lodging in the branches of it. And who, in the earlier part of Mark chapter 4... Well, let's just look at it. Uh, in case you weren't here when we covered this, in Mark chapter 4, he says in verse 4, some fell, it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. The fowls of the air just snatched up the word. Well, in verse 15 of Mark 4, he gives us the interpretation. He said, These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they've heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And so to me, there's only one way to understand the fowls of the air, and that's what the Bible says about the fowls of the air. They represent Satan and Satan's work. Both of these parables, I believe, and it seems evident, were taught at the same time. They were taught in the same day. And... So, so I want to challenge you to think about that today. The kingdom is going to start very small. It's going to get bigger and bigger. But it's going to get so big that it's going to be infiltrated by the fowls of the air. And I believe that represents Satan's work. False teachers. False doctrine. Hold your finger here in Mark chapter 4 and let's look at to the gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 13, Luke is recording this same parable. And we'll just see what he says about it. And then notice the parable that follows it, which is not included in Mark's gospel. Luke chapter 13. Please turn there with you in your Bible, if you would. In Luke 13, in verse 18, it says, Then said he, Under what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? Jesus said, What's it like? And Luke is recording The message, the response, it is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and cast into his garden and it grew and waxed a great tree. And the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Now that's all the the details that Luke gives us here. But let's notice the next thing that Luke says in verse 20 of Luke 13. And again he said, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? Same question, what's it like? He said it's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. It's not just like a tree that gets big and the fowls of the air come and lodge in it. It's like a woman who's got taken this meal and she's going to make something and she puts leaven in it and the entire, the entire lump is saturated with this leaven. Now... If you know much about the Bible, you've studied it much, you know that leaven in the Bible is almost always a reference to sin. Amen. 
The kingdom of God, he said, is like this woman who had this meal, and yet when you put in leaven, it spread through the whole thing. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where it talked about the effect of sin, and it says this, a little leaven, what? Leaveneth the whole lump. So these parables are not just about the kingdom of God getting so big and powerful. It's about them getting so big that error can slip in. That false doctrine can come in. That that false teaching and, and therefore false believing and sin will increase. This is not necessarily an encouraging message to think about, but it's, a, it's the truth. And that is, the bigger the kingdom becomes, the more error will be able to lodge within its branches. The kingdom of God has such a small beginning, but will get so large that the devil's actors can be found lodging in the branches of God's kingdom. It's a wonderful thing that the kingdom has grown, is it not? It's a wonderful thing that it that left the shores of Israel and made its way here to our country and, and, and through missionary work and churches evangelizing, it's reaching out. I'm glad for all that. I'm glad it reached to me, aren't you? The, the message of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. But the truth is that as it continues to grow, we need to be aware that Satan will work to infiltrate and get his purposes accomplished. Now, I'm back in Mark chapter 4, but I'm thinking about this important part of the message. I believe one of the primary reasons for this, this parable in Mark 4 is not just to see how it grew from a small thing to a large thing, but how that growth opened the door for the fowls of the air. You say, well, it just doesn't seem like that should be the case. Let me remind you that among the small band of disciples that Jesus first sent out, one of them was a counterfeit. One of them was a traitor. Judas Iscariot was a hypocrite. He was a false disciple. He was not a true convert. Now Jesus knew Judas, right? And Jesus knew he was not a real convert. Jesus knew what would come about because of his deception. But think with me carefully for a moment. Among the inner group, among the other 11 apostles, from everything I've learned from studying the Bible, not one of them, not one of them thought that he was a hypocrite. You say, where do you get that from? Because when they were gathered together... At that last Passover, and Jesus was about to go to the cross, he said this, one of you, there's only 12 of them in the room. And he said, one of you are going to betray me. And you know what their response was in unison? Lord, is it me? Am I the one? You'd think that all 11 would go, there he is, we knew it was him. Here was a, if you would, using this terminology of Mark chapter 4, Here's the fowls of the air right there in that small group. They, they were All the time they were serving and worshiping, they were worshiping with a false disciple. Really with a, one who was 
used of the devil to, to point out Jesus. Um, we're, kind of, we're going to get back to Mark chapter 4, but go with me if you would please to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to begin reading in verse 13. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, used some very strong language. 2 Corinthians 11 and 13, For such are false apostles, they're false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, making themselves look like the apostles of Christ. And this is what Paul said, and no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. Now this was, this was first century Christianity. I mean, this is, this is brand new virtually and and Paul identified these people as being false prophets, false teachers, but deceptive and transformed. And Satan was working in them. I was reading um, some just current events this morning at my computer. And uh, I want to read just a brief little example of this. It's the testimony of someone, I'm not going to read his name who pastored several churches, who started a church, and most recently was a lead pastor at a mega church, one of these giant thousands of people church. And he broke some news just recently on social media. This is what he posted on the social media. I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm going to read some quotes from his own words. After 40 years of being a devout follower... 20 of those being an evangelical pastor, I'm walking away from the faith. Even though this has been a massive bomb drop in my life, it has been decades in the making. He explained that his marriage was a wreck, and despite all the marriage counseling, it never was what it was promised to be. And that in all 40 years of his entire ministry, he never witnessed anything supernatural. The bottom line, he explains, my marriage was a sham, prayer was never answered, miracles were never performed, people died, children rebelled, marriages failed, addictions occurred, the system just doesn't work. You say, preacher, how do you explain that? It's not hard for me. He was a false preacher. He was a false prophet. The system works. Hey, just because the system doesn't work for you, doesn't mean that the system doesn't work. He was a false prophet. And, and, and unfortunately, he had many people following him who were totally clueless. And, and I would subject to you, in many ways, people follow blindly because they follow people rather than following the Bible. What does the Word of God say? You said, you believe that man, you mean he lost the faith? No, I believe he never had the faith. He never was. He was like a Judas. By the way, one evidence of genuine faith is it is enduring faith. Amen. 
John the Beloved said, they went out from us because what? They were not of us. So this, these kind of things happen. I see it a lot. I see people, I've seen preachers do it. I've seen preachers who seem to be solid, anchored in the truth, begin to follow after something that they once preached against and stood against, and it's not become they're, because they're enlightened. It's, not because, it's because they've gotten away from the truth. I've seen it in people who aren't in the ministry. Just get further and further away. We heard a great lesson in Sunday school this morning about how, how error works on you a little bit here, a little bit there, until finally it ensnares you. That's the way it happens. And so Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is like. It's like a little seed planted in the ground that begins to grow and mushroom in its growth and explode in its growth and its influence. But he said it's going to get so big that you're going to have all these Fowls of the air just lodging in the branches of it. You know, it may come as a surprise to some people, but Jesus taught that one of the clear indicators that we're living in the last days or the end times is the increase of false prophets. Jesus said that. I'll give you a quote. In that passage in Matthew 24, devoted almost entirely to the second coming, the coming of the Lord, the end times, it said this, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. The preachers are not genuine. The preachers do not have truth. And they're deceiving their followers. Let me give you another verse. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Listen to this. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I say again, the word as a departure from the faith is the word we would use sometimes as apostasy. But when a person departs from the faith, they never really had the faith at all. You say, how could a person be deceived like that? How, I, I, don't even, I don't know that Judas knew that he was a false prophet. I know nobody around him knew that. False teaching has existed from the beginning of the New Testament era. I mean, even when I mentioned the church at Corinth, even when Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth, he called out those who had, who had denied the resurrection. They were doubting about the resurrection. Paul, I mean, excuse me, John the Beloved, writing in his epistles, he spoke about those who were denying the deity of Christ. They were already turning away from the truth. Those came from Jerusalem to the uh, churches in the Gentile churches and, and, and began to try to make circumcision necessary for salvation. That's false doctrine. Then came the heresy in the early centuries after the church began, this heresy of infant baptism and people believing that you're saved by your baptism and universal church error, that there's some kind of an invisible universal church. And then, then they came up with this hierarchy of church leaders and put one person as over a lot of churches and, and in, it in, then came the tradition of the infallibility of the Pope that if the Pope speaks then it must be true and I'm telling you these are all fowls of the air lodging in this great thing we call the kingdom of God Amen. and it just goes on and on unconditional election means you're going to be saved whether you want to or not 
limited atonement, which many people who once believed the truth believe now. Baptist people, independent Baptist people who believe that Jesus didn't die for the whole world, He just died for an elect few. That's nonsense. That's heretic. It's, it's, it's heresy. And then irresistible grace that you're going to be drawn whether you want to be or not. Ordaining women as pastors. Saying that salvation comes through the waters of baptism. Universalism, this this book that just took the nation by storm years ago, love wins. In other words, everybody's going to be saved. That's nonsense. It's contrary to the Word of God. Just recently reading about men who who have a reputation of being sound men who are accepting same-sex marriage. I'm telling you today, friend, the fowls of the air are lodging in the branches of the kingdom of God. And as I understand Scripture, it's only going to get worse. Paul said this to Timothy, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Christian, I use that word Christian very loosely, the Christian culture has become infiltrated with error. And it grieves us, right? It grieves me. I'm, I'm seriously, it grieves me. But we should not be surprised by it. The kingdom started as just like a tiny little seed, a mustard seed. And it grows to a worldwide movement. But in it will be attracted many false teachers and false apostles. And whether we like it or not, and it's not up to us to like it or not like it, the further down the road we go, the closer to the end, the more apostasy and deception will increase. Now some of you have been around longer than I have, and that seems hard to imagine, but I know it's true. But I've been doing this, what I'm doing right now, for over 40 years. Ministry, preaching, teaching. And I'm telling you today, it breaks my heart to see what goes on among people that I would think would know better, open to all kinds of error, revisiting things they should know, turning away from things they should know. You know what it is? It's not spirituality, it's deception. It's a part of the day that we live in. So the kingdom began small. The kingdom grew in a miraculous way. The kingdom has been infiltrated with error. And by the way, let's not be prideful as though we have a corner in all the truth. We're all learners. But we ought to call error, error. If it's in us or anybody else, we ought to call it error. But here's the thing that I want to remind you of as we conclude, the kingdom will endure and prevail. It will. I was reading yesterday of a time centuries ago when the king of Babylon, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, he had this vision and he couldn't understand it. And eventually Daniel came and interpreted this vision for him. And it was about a variety of kingdoms, including the Babylonian kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar was a part of, including the reign of uh, the Greeks, 
But it came down to this, the last kingdom, the final kingdom, Daniel said. Now hear the words, please hear this. Daniel said, this was centuries ago. The God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that kingdom began with Jesus Christ as a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of followers. And we're a part of that kingdom. And one day that kingdom will include Jesus Christ Himself coming back to this very earth and ruling over the entire world. And we will reign with Him. It's good, isn't it? Good news. One day, those who faithfully follow Him will serve with Him in the kingdom. It had a humble beginning, great growth, infiltrated by imposters, but it will endure. One day we'll reign with Him in eternal kingdom. Truth, truth will conquer error. Light will conquer darkness. And speaking of kingdoms, one day the kings of this world will bow before Him and recognize Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I asked tonight, or today, first of all, are you in the kingdom? And you say, well, I don't know. You ought to know if you are. Look, if Jesus was not ruling my life, I would know it. And if Jesus is ruling my life, I know it. And if, you, if he's not, if you're, are you in the kingdom? Have you been born again? Have you entered into the kingdom? You say, well, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know that what that was going doing happening when I got saved. I didn't, I didn't either. I didn't know I was entering into the kingdom. I knew I was a lost sinner on my way to hell, and Jesus died for my sins, and I turned by faith and trusted Jesus Christ and put my faith in what He did on the cross, and He changed my life. But here's what I didn't see or know at the time: the moment I got saved. I entered the kingdom and he became my king and he's been ruling and reigning ever since. Are you in the kingdom? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Is Jesus your king? Are you a willing subject to his rule in your life? Jesus didn't come that we might follow him. I mean, that he might follow us. Excuse me. He came that we would follow him, that we would obey him. We live in a strange day. We, we live in a day that I find very fascinating, troubling sometimes, when people who boldly proclaim that they are children of the king who have no real desire to follow him and obey him. There's, there's something strange about that. Amen? And I just want to say, if, you, if you're of the mindset, young person, or, or even an adult, if you're of the mindset... That what the Bible teaches in its entirety is unimportant, that it's irrelevant, that it, it doesn't really matter how you live your life. You are a victim of the influence of the fowls of the air. They're the ones that convinced you of that. Jesus never taught that. 
The apostles never taught that. The Old Testament prophets never taught that. That we, that we ought to be able to live as we please and do as we please. There's, it's not taught anywhere. And you say, well, lots of people seem to be living by it. That's just because they believe lies. The kingdom's like a mustard seed. Isn't that a, it's a great illustration. It's like a mustard seed. And today, I, w- I want to urge you to seriously think about your place in the kingdom. Am I really in the kingdom? Have I been born again? Is he my king? And if not, today is your opportunity to get into the kingdom by receiving him as your savior and Lord and king. Amen? Amen. And if you're in the kingdom, let's follow our leader. Amen? Let's obey our leader. Let's be glad. Let's be glad we're in the kingdom that will one day rule and reign over all of God's creation. That's exciting stuff for me. Amen? You say, well, I don't really, I don't know why it means so much. I'll tell you one reason why it means so much. Because every day of our life, we live and breathe in a culture and a society and a world system that is increasingly against God. We don't find it humorous. We don't find it entertaining. It's not enjoyable, that part of it. But there's coming a day when the king will rule and reign. And he's already ruling in our life, and we're looking forward to him ruling the whole shooting match. Amen? Amen.